Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Live from the Bloomberg Interactive Brokers Studios, this is Bloomberg Daybreak for Thursday, January 27th, 2022. Coming up this hour. Markets react after the Fed takes a hawkish tone. Bets on rate hikes climb, with traders now predicting five increases. Earnings also hit sentiment as outlooks from Intel and Tesla disappoint. And Chuck Schumer promises quick action to fill Justice Stephen Breyer's spot on the Supreme Court. A winter storm bears down on the city, and President Biden will visit New York to focus on gun violence. I'm John Tucker. Those stories straight ahead. I'm John Stashower in sports. The Heat beat the Knicks. The Nuggets beat the Nets. And they're playing the women's semifinals at the Australian Open. That's all straight ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak on Bloomberg 1130 New York. Bloomberg 99.1 Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 1061 Boston. Bloomberg 960 San Francisco. Sirius XM 119. And around the world on BloombergRadio.com and via the Bloomberg Business app. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hitler. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. futures looking to stage a comeback. They're rebounding off the worst levels this morning and moving higher. We're coming up to 501 on Wall Street, and we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P futures up five points. Dow futures up six. NASDAQ futures up 54. The DAX in Germany is down four-tenths of a percent. Ten-year Treasury up 6.30 seconds, yield 1.84 percent. Nathan. Yeah, Karen, stocks did sell off overnight after yesterday's hawkish tilt from the Fed, but U.S. futures are bouncing back from session lows. Chair Jay Powell signaled a March interest rate hike, but also stoked speculation about more aggressive policy in the months ahead. I think there's quite a bit of room to raise interest rates without threatening the labor market. This is by so many measures, a historically tight labor market. Well, the yield curve flattened on the heels of those comments from Jay Powell. This morning, two-year yields are rising while tens and thirties fall. Former Fed Vice Chair Alan Blinder expects a rate hike at every meeting this year. Think about where we are now. We're almost at a zero rate. A four-rate hike is, puts you just above 1%. That's hardly a central bank that's trying to clamp down on its economy. Former Vice Chair Alan Blinder says the Fed will continue to be data dependent. And this morning, money markets are now pricing five rate hikes from the Fed this year. Nathan, U.S. stocks sank after the Fed decision, and that trend continued overnight with heavy selling in Asia. We get the recap from Bloomberg's Juliet Sally in Singapore. Good morning, Juliet. Good morning, Karen. The MSCI Asia-Pacific Index posted its biggest drop since February to hold at 14-month lows as a number of indexes in the region teetered on or entered bear market and correction territory. China's CSI 300 fell 20% from its February peak to enter a bear market. South Korea's Kospi also entering a bear market. Australia's ASX 200 was down 10% from its August peak to enter correction. In Singapore, Juliet Sali, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Juliet, thank you. So how much further is the Federal Reserve willing to let stock 
Stocks slide. We have a prediction from the world's biggest hedge fund. Bloomberg's Renita Young joins us live with the details. Good morning, Renita. Good morning, Nathan. It's the burning question of the moment for market watchers. And Bridgewater Associates co-chief investment officer Greg Jensen says the Fed could let stocks drop as much as 20 percent more. That would put the S&P 500 below 3,500 near its pre-pandemic level. Jensen says so far the decline over the past few weeks has been mostly healthy because it's deflated some of the bubbles like cryptocurrencies. Live in New York, I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Daybreak. Renita, thank you. Stocks are also under pressure this morning from earnings, including disappointing results from Intel. The chipmaker's out with a weak profit forecast for the current quarter, and we get the story from Bloomberg's Charlie Pellet. The report is fueling concern that the cost of CEO Pat Gelsinger's turnaround plan will weigh heavily on the chipmaker's financial performance. Though demand for server chips is helping bolster sales, the forecast adds evidence that profit is suffering from an Intel spending spree. Gelsinger, who took the helm last year, has embarked on an ambitious plan to overhaul Intel's manufacturing. That includes a new factory hub in Ohio announced last week that could cost $20 billion. In New York, Charlie Pellet, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Charlie, thanks. Shares of Tesla are also dropping this morning. The company posted profit above estimates but warned supply chain problems will persist. Ed Ludlow has details from our Bloomberg 960 newsroom in San Francisco. Executives said that production volumes at the plant in Fremont, California and in Shanghai have been depressed for several quarters due to the ongoing supply chain crunch. That includes, of course, a shortage of semiconductors. And that meant one big thing. This year, 2022, Tesla will not be launching any new products. That means no Cybertruck, no semi-truck. And the logic that Elon Musk put behind that was that if they don't have the parts to build or ramp up production of their existing products, then they shouldn't move quickly onto new products going forward. Ed Ludlow, Bloomberg News, San Francisco. Ed, thank you. The tech earnings continue to roll in today. Up next, Apple reports this afternoon, and we get a preview from Bloomberg's Tom Busby. Well, the big question for Apple's first quarter results, how big were holiday sales of its new iPhone 13s as well as the iPad mini, the MacBook Pro, the Apple Watch Series 7, and its updated AirPod earphones? Also, whether that global computer chip crunch and supply chain bottlenecks impacted sales and production. Bloomberg economists forecast revenue during the all-important holiday quarter topped $119 billion, more than half of that from sales of iPhones on non-adjusted earnings of $1.90 a share. Tom Busby, Bloomberg Daybreak. And Tom, earnings in Europe are in focus as well. Shares of Deutsche Bank are up 5%. Germany's largest lender says it will, quote, significantly exceed its revenue guidance for the coming year. Deutsche saw gains in debt trading and its merger advisory business in the fourth quarter. And turning to politics now, Nathan, President Biden looks poised to make a mark on the Supreme Court. We're told Justice Stephen Breyer plans to retire at the end of this term. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer is leading tributes to the high court's most senior liberal. He was a model jurist. He had huge impact on people's lives in terms of voting rights, women women's rights and reproductive rights in terms of the environment, and maybe most of all on the ACA, uh, the Affordable Care Act, making sure it stayed. Senator Schumer is promising a quick timetable to confirm Breyer's successor. President Biden has promised to name a black woman to the high court. 
Man, futures, Karen, are moving higher at the moment. S&P futures are up 12 points. Dow futures up 46. NASDAQ futures higher by 77 points. The 10-year Treasury is up 5.30 seconds. The yield 1.84%. Two-year yields are moving higher. They're up to 1.18% now. And NYMEX crude, little changed up about a tenth percent at $87.42 a barrel. Bitcoin, $36,600. Straight ahead, your latest local headlines and a check of sports. This is Bloomberg. It's now 5.07 on Wall Street, 18 degrees in Central Park, and we got a crash on the southbound Garden State Parkway by exit 148. Details coming up in traffic. First, John Tucker with more on what's going on in New York and around the world. Bracing for some snow, John. Yeah, we're watching a powerful snowstorm that's set to sweep up the East Coast starting tomorrow, Nathan. Now, Bloomberg meteorologist Rob Carolyn joins us now with the very latest. Good morning, Rob. John, the computer model still not in agreement on the storm coming up for Saturday. The U.S. model takes it out to sea, while most of the international models have a fairly significant storm for the tri-state area. I think that's why the National Weather Service has put a winter storm watch up for Friday evening through Saturday evening for the coast, including the city in Long Island and Westchester County, New York. Looks like uh, snow will arrive by uh, mid to late afternoon tomorrow in the tri-state area. Should be done by Saturday evening. Right now, two to six inches looks likely. John? Bloomberg meteorologist Rob Carolyn. Well, check your flight this morning. It's not because of the weather. United Airlines says it's experiencing an IT outage and teams are working to get it resolved. President Biden will promote his administration's efforts to fight gun crime in New York next week with Mayor Eric Adams. This confronting a spate of violence, including the shooting deaths of two police officers. The president will highlight increased federal funding for state and city law enforcement. A flurry of meetings regarding Russia and Ukraine appear to have made a bit of progress. Let's get more from Bloomberg's Ed Baxter. NATO Secretary General Jan Stoltenberg is urging a direct meeting with Russia. We are prepared to listen to Russia's concerns. Real conversation on how to uphold and strengthen the fundamental principles of European security that we have all signed up to. As well, in Paris, direct meetings with high-level diplomats from Ukraine and Russia, both saying marginal improvement, have set up another meeting in two weeks in Berlin. And the U.S. has delivered a letter to Russia with proposals to end the standoff. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Daybreak. New York's MTA looking at ways to prevent people from falling or jumping onto subway tracks. An MTA task force plans to explore sensors and platform doors. A homeless person this month killed a woman by pushing her onto subway tracks in front of an oncoming train at the Times Square station. And Amazon.com unable to escape a lawsuit filed by a convicted murderer in New York who claims the company's refusal to hire him as a delivery driver was discrimination. Global News 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take. We're powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm John Tucker. This is Bloomberg. Nathan. All right, John. Thanks. Almost 5.10 on Wall Street. Time for the Bloomberg Sports Update. Good morning, John Stashauer. All right, good morning, Nathan. Knicks unable to beat the Heat. Trailed by 14 in the first quarter, by 28 in the third. The final a little more respectable, but Miami, who leads the East, won 110 to 96. The Heat had four players score 20 or more. Duncan Robinson at 25. He made seven three-pointers. The Knicks' leading scorer was Obi Toppin with 18. Knicks fans 
would like to see him play more. Another loss for the Nets in Brooklyn where they're just 12 and 13. They were without the entire big three as James Harden sat out with a minor hamstring injury and Denver scored 42 points in the third quarter. The Nuggets won 124 to 118. Nikola Jokic 26 points, two assists shy of a triple-double. Rangers skate tonight at Columbus, then come home tomorrow on Henrik Lundqvist night. Seton Hall lost at home to Marquette, 73-63. The Pirates just 3-6 and six in the Big East. Ash Barty continues to steamroll at the Australian Open, 6-1, 6-3 in the semifinals over American Madison Keys. Barty has won all 12 sets, has only lost 21 games. Introductory news conference at MetLife Stadium for new Giants general manager Joe Shane and owner John Mara. When asked about quarterback Daniel Jones, said, we've done everything possible to screw this kid up. Shane seems happy with the incumbent QB. I know he's a great kid. He's been in this building the last two days. I've, I've talked to him. There's not anybody in this building that said a bad word about his work ethic, passion, you know, desire to win. And I think you got to have those traits as a quarterback. And the kid has physical ability. You know, he's got arm strength. He's athletic. He can run. So I'm really getting, I'm really excited to work with Daniel. A lot of other key decisions, including hiring a new coach. Shane will interview former Miami coach Brian Flores today. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. Nathan. Okay, John, thanks. S&P futures now up eight points. Dow futures up 33. NASDAQ futures up 63 points. Yield curve flattening this morning with the 10-year up 6.30 seconds. The yield 1.84%. Yield on the two-year rising to 1.18. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg 1130 weather mix of sun and clouds today, high near 30 degrees. Winter storm watch kicks in tomorrow night into Saturday night, two to six inches possible from this nor'easter with highest accumulations over Long Island. Currently 18 degrees. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business App, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures are racing their losses mostly with dip buyers back in action after a sell-off spark by a hawkish Federal Reserve. In Europe, retail and travel stocks are putting a drag on benchmark indexes while bank shares rally after Deutsche Bank raised its outlook. And we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. Right now, S&P futures are a little changed. Dow futures a little changed as well. And NASDAQ futures are up 41. The DAX in Germany is down four-tenths of a percent. The 10-year Treasury up 7.30 seconds. Yield 1.83%. Yield on the two-year, 1.17%. NYMEX crude oil is up two-tenths percent or 17 cents at $87.52 a barrel. COMEX gold down eight-tenths percent or $14.10 at 18.18 an ounce. The euro, 1.1194 against the dollar. British pound, 1.3431. The yen is at 115.06. And Bitcoin this morning moving higher at $36,600. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's John Tucker with more on what's going on around the world. John, good morning. And good morning, Karen. Senate Democrats plan to move swiftly to replace retiring Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer. Dozens of United flights delayed after the airline reported a company-wide technology outage this morning. As South Korea's military says North Korea fired two suspected ballistic missiles into the sea in its sixth round of weapons launches this month. 
sports, the Knicks and Nets both lose. On the ice, the Capitals lose, and the Bruins fall to Colorado in overtime. At the Australian Open Women's Semifinals, Ashley Barty defeats American Madison Keys in straight sets. Global News 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take. We're powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm John Tucker, and this is Bloomberg. Nathan. Okay, John, thank you. It's 519 on Wall Street, live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak as we watch markets adjust really in real time here now that the Fed has taken a decidedly hawkish turn. Let's bring in Sarah House now, senior economist at Wells Fargo, as we continue to assess what we heard from the Fed and Chairman Jay Powell yesterday. Sarah, good morning. Uh, money markets are now fully pricing in five rate hikes this year. Are you adjusting your forecast over at Wells Fargo? Well, I think we saw that the, the risks to the outlook are certainly skewed towards earlier and or faster tightening than what we had going into this meeting, given that not only did we get a pretty clear signal about March, but I think one of the most interesting points was that when asked about the pace uh, multiple times in the press conference, each time Powell was very pointed in making the distinction between this cycle and this economy versus what we saw in, in 2015. So I think that certainly does point to the potential for more than more than just quarterly um, quarterly rate hikes of, of 25 basis points. I mean, there's been some talk that we could see rate hikes at every meeting after the asset taper ends. Is, is that what you're thinking here? So uh, that's not our expectation. I think once we get to the second half of the year and we see that activity is slowing in part from the rate hikes that I think you, you will get earlier in the year, but also when you step back and you have to remember that Consumer spending, given the lack of fiscal support this year relative to, to 2021, is set for a, a fairly market slowdown. And so I think that that might take some of the pressure off of inflation and therefore how much the Fed might have to rise. Do you think the, do you think the Fed's moving quickly enough to go after inflation? Do you think Powell is almost tacitly admitting that the, the Fed made a mistake in calling inflation transitory earlier? Well, they've certainly pivoted from their stance. I mean, if you go back, uh, it was only in November they they were still using the word transitory in, in the statement. So I think they've certainly switched their view on inflation and, and are rapidly trying to catch up for the fact that it does look like inflation is, is going to be persistent longer than they, they had expected. And, and we're going to be looking at uh, inflation still well above the Fed's target. We expect um, through our forecast horizon of 2023, but even at the end of this year, we're still looking at core PCE, we think probably somewhere between three, three and a half percent. So I think it's still going to put a lot of pressure on the Fed to act. So when do you uh, think the Fed will start unwinding the balance sheet based on what Powell said yesterday? So going into the meeting, our expectation was that we'd get an announcement in September. But I think, uh, like Fed funds hikes, I think that risk is skewed towards earlier. So we saw, of course, the release of, of the principles get, uh, around the unwind. Now, these were less detailed than the principles we saw released back in, in June 2017. But I think it's one thing that we are getting close. We saw in the press conference, Jay, uh, Chair Powell said that he, they would be talking about it at a couple more meetings. So I think it's very likely we'll get an announcement sometime this summer. We've seen the yield curve flatten on the back of Powell's comments. Uh, is there recession risk from the from the uh, policy path going forward? I, I think it's still too early to to be putting that into into expectations. 
Um, but I think the, the Fed is in a, a pretty tight spot. So we've seen inflation go well above their target. And I think there's a lot of questions about how much policy tightening is going to be needed to rein that in and if the Fed will, will get that balance right. And so I think um, while that's not our baseline expectation, I think this is a, a very st- sticky situation. You think the Fed will continue to sort of look past uh, the market action, the gyrations that we've certainly seen this week and, and stay on course? What kind of market action do you think it would take for the Fed to alter its path? I think right now, given that inflation is so far above the Fed's target, that they are, are much more likely to look through market volatility than they were back in, in 2015 and, and the 28 through the 2018 tightening cycle. I think just given that, um, that you also have a very strong labor market right now, I think that, um, you know, they're, they're quickly repositioning and, and with that's probably going to come some volatility and, and at the end of the day, price stability and maximum employment are, are their mandate. So just about 30 seconds left here. Do you think we're at full employment now? I think we're, we're certainly close, if, if not already there. And I think it was revealing in the press conference that uh, he, that Powell said that most participants already think that we are at, at maximum employment. We see that across a number of indicators, not just the unemployment rate, but what we see in terms of quits, what we see in terms of wage growth. So this is, is certainly a strong labor market, and we saw that emphatically reflected in, in Powell's comments in the press conference yesterday. All right, Sarah, as always, thanks for your insights. Really appreciate it. Sarah House, senior economist at Wells Fargo with us this morning. As we take a look at markets, uh, a little bit of shakiness now in the futures contracts with S&P futures now up three points. Dow futures back down by about nine points and NASDAQ futures are higher by 38 points. You're listening to Bloomberg Daybreak. Bloomberg 1130 weather as we brace for a nor'easter. Today we'll have a mix of sun and clouds and a high near 30. Winter storm watch kicks in tomorrow night. We could have two to six inches, most of it over Long Island by tomorrow evening. Broadcasting live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studio in New York. Bloomberg 1130 to Washington, D.C. Bloomberg 991 to Boston. Bloomberg 1061 to San Francisco. Bloomberg 960 to the country. Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. And it's 5.30 on Wall Street. Good morning. I'm Karen Moscow. I'm Nathan Hager. Bloomberg Daybreak is brought to you by SEI. Crises emphasize character and partnership. One mission, one community, SEI. Go to SEIC.com slash IMS. And we're just about four hours away from the open of U.S. trading. Let's get you up to date on the news you need to know at this hour. Stocks are mixed around the world this morning. That's after the Federal Reserve's hawkish tone on interest rates. At one point, NASDAQ futures were down more than 2% before turning higher. Jeff Rosenberg of BlackRock says the Fed has a tough job ahead. How difficult it is for the Fed to navigate to that soft landing that's implicit in those SEP forecasts. And that really raises the risks here, I think, for financial markets. 
BlackRock's Jeff Rosenberg says the market had anticipated a more dovish message from the Fed. And the question for the market now, Karen, is just how many times the Fed will raise rates. Let's get the latest live with Bloomberg's Renita Young. Renita? Nathan, traders are ramping up bets to see five Fed rate hikes this year. That would bring the central bank's target rate to around 1.5%. The wagers are rippling through markets with short-dated bonds and equities slumping. Money markets are pricing 30 basis points of Fed tightening in March. That means some see a chance for 50-point hike. And it all comes as Fed Chair Jay Powell strikes a hawkish tone and signals a first rate increase in March. Live in New York, I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Daybreak. Renita, thank you. Corporate earnings are also weighing on stocks. Shares of Intel are down more than 2.5% after the chipmaker gave a disappointing profit forecast. And Tesla shares are down almost 1%, Karen. The company set a record for profit, but warned supply chain problems will keep it from introducing new vehicle models this year. Outside of the markets, Nathan, politics are front and center. President Biden is poised to make a mark on the Supreme Court after word that Justice Stephen Breyer plans to retire at the end of his term. The president has promised to name a black woman to replace Breyer, and Bloomberg's Josh Wingrove reports that would fulfill a campaign promise. Biden has faced pressure from the base, in particular voters of color, for not doing enough on core issues, things like voting rights, things like police reform. And if he had the opportunity now to make a very high profile nomination, in particular, if it is indeed a black woman, there could be political dividends for the Democrats. And Bloomberg's Josh Wingrove says Justice Breyer is expected to announce his retirement at the White House today. S&P futures are little changed this morning. Dow futures are little changed as well. NASDAQ futures up 37 and the 10-year Treasury up 7.30 seconds, yield 1.83 percent. Straight ahead, your latest local headlines, plus a check of sports. This is Bloomberg. Thanks, Karen. It's 533 on Wall Street. We're at 18 degrees in Central Park, and two tractor trailers are involved in a crash on northbound Connecticut Turnpike Exit 13. Details coming up with traffic first. John Tucker's here with more on what's going on in New York and around the world. John. Nathan, President Biden will visit New York next week to focus on gun crime. Let's get more in this report from Bloomberg's Lisa Mateo. Biden will highlight efforts including increased federal funding for state and city law enforcement agencies. The money is intended to fund beat officers and community violence prevention programs. The administration is also stepping up federal efforts to stop gun trafficking. The president will join Mayor Eric Adams, who is confronting a spat of violence. Since he took office on January 1st, five officers have been shot, including two who died after responding to a domestic disturbance call. In New York, I'm Lisa Mateo, Bloomberg Daybreak. A winter storm watch in effect starting Friday evening for a system that may blanket parts of the city in snow. Let's get the latest from Bloomberg meteorologist Rob Carolyn. Rob. John, we still have some pretty serious disagreement between the major models on this storm. U.S. model tries to take it out to sea and really gives no snow to the tri-state area. European model says, no, it's a major storm. So we're going to kind of ride in the middle right now for forecast totals. We are under a winter storm watch along the coast and over the island and into Westchester County for Friday night and into Saturday. Uh, Snow should develop tomorrow afternoon and continue into Saturday. The question is how much. Right now we're thinking about two to six inches with the highest amounts on the island. John? Rob Carolyn. New York could boost weekly benefits for laid-off workers and delay unemployment tax hikes for employers under a bill that passed the state Senate. New York's 6.2 percent unemployment rate in December was more than two points higher than the national rate. Prince Andrew casting blame back at Virginia Giuffre after her sexual abuse suit, saying her claims were barred by her own wrongful conduct. 
In response to the suit, Anders suggested she was at least partly responsible for her own alleged injuries. Jufre says when she was a teenager, Jeffrey Epstein lent her to Andrew for abuse. And astronomers say debris from one of Elon Musk's rockets will crash into the moon. It highlights the growing risk from space junk as companies plan on launching tens of thousands of satellites. The second stage of a Falcon 9 rocket sent into orbit by Musk's space exploration technologies in 2015 is projected to impact the moon on March 4th. Global News 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm John Tucker. This is Bloomberg. Nathan. Whole new meaning for to the moon, John. Thanks. Yes, Alice. Almost 5.36 on Wall Street. John Stashower is here now with the Bloomberg Sports Update. Thanks, Nathan. It's figured to be a tough week for the Knicks. They lost by two at Cleveland, but never in it in Miami. The Heat led by 28 in the third quarter. The final was 110 to 96. East leading Miami has now won eight of the last 10, nine of 10 at home. Knicks are floundering. Finished fourth in the East last season. Right now they are 11th. They play tomorrow in Milwaukee. Nets played without the big three. No James Harden due to a hamstring injury in Denver. One in Brooklyn. 124 to 118. Nikola Jokic 26. Six points. Austin Rivers at 25. All but three in the second half. Patty Mills led the Nets with 21. Seton Hall lost to Red Hot Marquette. 73-63. Justin Lewis, 33 points for the Golden Eagles. Won seven in a row. No native Aussie has won the women's singles in Melbourne since 1978. Ashley Barty seems on her way. The top seed has crushed six straight opponents. This time, Madison Keys in the semifinals. 6-1, 6-3. Another American, Danielle Collins, playing now. And she's won the first four games with... Ego Swiatek. If Hardy wins Saturday, she'll have won three of the four Grand Slams. Joe Shane just hires the new general manager of the Giants. A lot of work to do. Since 2017, the Giants are tied for the worst record in the NFL. I think you can truly build a roster where you can compete today and build for tomorrow. So we're going to do the draft, free agency, whatever avenue we can. We're going to continue to build a competitive roster, and we want to see progress. And we're going to continue to build with a long term in mind. You know, as we build it. But I think you can compete today and still build for tomorrow. He needs to hire a new coach. The favorite said to be Brian Dayball. He's the Bills' offensive coordinator, so he worked with Shane in Buffalo. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. Nathan? All right, John, thank you. It is 537 on Wall Street. Time now for the Tri-State Business Report with Bloomberg's Ed Corey. Amazon.com workers in Staten Island have collected enough signatures to hold an election on whether to join a union. A National Labor Relations Board representative says there's sufficient showing now to go ahead with a petition from the fledgling Amazon Labor Union. The ALU filed the petition in December. Employers in New York must disclose electronic monitoring like Internet access and video conferencing to new hires under a new law taking effect in May as workers contend with a landscape that's increasingly dependent on technology. The new law comes amid a push for greater privacy protections. Leasing costs are climbing throughout New York City, returning to or even surpassing pre-pandemic levels in the most desirable areas. In the fourth quarter, the median monthly asking rent was well over 3000 bucks in the majority of Manhattan neighborhoods, according to data from StreetEasy. That's your Bloomberg Tri-State Business Report. I'm Ed Corey. Thanks, Ed. 538 on Wall Street. Bloomberg Radio is on the air from San Francisco to New York, London to Hong Kong. Let's check in with our global news team for some of the top stories heard on our 300 affiliate radio stations around the world. 
I'm Steve Potus, and on 1010 Wins in New York, we're talking about Amazon union organizers getting the signatures needed to hold a vote at a facility in Staten Island. I'm Courtney Donahoe on KTRH in Houston. Levi Strauss says price hikes aren't scaring away denim shoppers. I'm Caroline Hepker on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio in London. We're reporting on MPs on the Treasury Committee accusing the government of leaking market-sensitive information to the media ahead of October's budget. I'm Ed Corey on WWJ in Detroit. I'm reporting General Motors is adding 8,000 new tech jobs. Those are some of the stories our 2,700 Bloomberg journalists and analysts are working on. It's 539 on Wall Street. The following is an editorial from Bloomberg Opinion. After weeks of mostly fruitless diplomacy, NATO is bracing for war. Russia has massed more than 100,000 troops on Ukraine's borders in what many see as a prelude to an invasion. NATO is ready in a force to deploy to Eastern Europe in response. But European Union member states are divided about when and how forcefully to respond. Some want to act in the event of a Russian attack, while others don't. Still others are seeking delays and carve-outs to protect their domestic interests. The stakes are too high for such quibbles. Failing to confront Russia now will embolden other regimes seeking to redraw borders in the future. Regardless of what the Kremlin does next, the U.S. and Europe must maintain a united front, both to prevent further aggression and to defend the stability of the international system. This editorial was written by the Bloomberg Opinion Editorial Board. I'm David Shipley. For more Bloomberg Opinion, please go to Bloomberg.com slash opinion or OPI and go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg Opinion. Listen for Bloomberg Opinion editorials every weekday at this time. Terminal customers can read more at OPI and go. S&P futures higher by four points. Dow futures up 12. Nasdaq futures up 39 points. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg 11.30 weather, a high near 30 today ahead of the nor'easter. Tomorrow night into Saturday, 2 to 6 inches possible. Most of it over Long Island will be in the mid-30s. Tomorrow high Saturday only in the low 20s. Currently 18 degrees. Markets, headlines, and breaking news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Bloomberg Business app, and at Bloomberg Quick Take. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update brought to you by SEI. Crises and challenges highlight the power of partnership and character. Work for the common good. One community, SEI. Go to SEIC.com slash banks. U.S. stock index futures erased an earlier loss with um, dip buyers back in action after a sell-off sparked by a hawkish Federal Reserve. S&P futures are a little changed now. Dow futures little changed as well. NASDAQ futures are higher, up 30. Check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. Right now, 10-year Treasury is up 7.30 seconds, yield 1.83%. They yield on the two-year 1.18%. Nymex crude oil is up three-tenths percent or 25 cents at $87.61 a barrel. Comex gold down nine-tenths percent or $16.20 at $18.15.80 an ounce. The euro, 1.1193 against the dollar. British pound, 1.3424. The yen is at 115.19. And Bitcoin this morning is at $36,450. 
That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Now here's John Tucker with more on what's going on around the world. John. And current Senate Democrats say they plan to move swiftly to replace retiring Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer. Dozens of United flights delayed after the airline reported a company-wide technology outage this morning. And South Korea's military says North Korea fired two suspected ballistic missiles in its sixth round of weapons launches this month. Sports, Knicks and Nets both lose. On the ice, the Capitals lose, and the Bruins fall to Colorado in overtime. At the Australian Open Women's Semifinals, Ashley Barty defeated American Madison Keys in straight sets. Global News 24 hours a day on air and on Bloomberg Quick Take. We're powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm John Tucker. This is Bloomberg. Nathan. Okay, John, thanks. It's almost 549 on Wall Street, live from the Bloomberg Interactive Broker Studios. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. And as John just alluded to, President Biden is about to get his first chance to shape the Supreme Court with Justice Stephen Breyer expected to formally announce today that he will retire at the end of the current Supreme Court term. The confirmation fight could set the tone for the midterm elections. Let's get more on the potential political fallout now. Wendy Schiller is with us this morning, director of the Topman Center for American Politics and Policy at Brown University. Professor, good to have you with us this morning. How could this set the tone for the midterms? Well, Nathan, I think it's going to be a pretty targeted geographical effect in terms of mobilizing African-American voters. You know, it really depends on the Republican position more than the Democratic position. You know, if the GOP in the Senate decides to go all out and really try to block this nomination, which I don't think McConnell will want to encourage, that can directly affect Senate races in places like Georgia, uh, where there's an African-American male senator uh, up for re-election, uh, Ralph Warnock, and in North Carolina, where there's an open seat uh, uh, and a fairly strong uh, and large African-American voting population. Just those two states alone could be pivotal in either keeping the Senate for the Democrats or giving it to the GOP. So to me, this is about mobilizing African-American voters, but it's also about gauging the Republican response, uh, even if they try to say, well, this person's too liberal. If it's a, a black woman, which we expect it would be, Still, the, the, the strongest voting demographic in the African-American community are black women. So I think it could be very costly to the GOP depending on their response. All right, let's pick both of those apart, starting with the potential impact on African-American voters. As you mentioned, the president has said he will nominate a black woman as his first nominee. After uh, the, all the disappointment expressed by many civil rights leaders on the voting rights issue and, and other issues that have come before the president sort of fallen to the wayside, is a Supreme Court nominee enough to mobilize African-American voters heading into the midterms? Well, again, this depends on the success of Democratic Party messaging, which I've, uh, you and I have talked about before, which I think has been extraordinarily disappointing, uh, in the first year of the Biden presidency. It's not been coherent or uniform and strong enough. But this is a way of saying, listen, you have to keep the Senate. We have to make sure that we keep the Senate. That's the Democrats talking because Biden's president for two more years. And if there are any other vacancies, this is another opportunity for Biden to appoint additional African American, uh, um, members to this Court. Now, I'm not sure Biden will make that promise outright, but it's certainly an effective campaign message to voters in the African-American community who care about what we call descriptive representation. In other words, having somebody who is African-American, who can represent African-American interests broadly defined in places like the vice presidency or the presidency or the Supreme Court. If, if, the, if the Democrats can message on that in particular communities in 2022, just as they did in 2006, 
about the importance of having a Democratic Congress. Um, I think they can, at the margins, use this to, to thwart the Republican momentum in particular areas. As I said, uh, Senate races, I think, more than House races. And in terms of the Republican response, as you alluded to, it seems like uh, bipartisan Senate confirmations of Supreme Court justices of it's been a while since we've kind of had one. What are the chances that we could see uh, more of a bipartisan confirmation of the next nominee? Well, I think the chances go up a little bit uh, because of the you know demographics and voting in particular states. I think McConnell will say to his caucus, "You can vote against, but try not to have any sound bites in the debates. You know, try not to go to the floor of the Senate and say something that the Democrats can pull out in a 15 or 30 second ad that will characterize the entire Republican Party as racist." Um, I think that there's a lot of people who are capable of making sure that happens on the floor, but there are some people who don't always listen to McConnell. I think it's got to be McConnell's fear. And there's an, you know, there's an open seat in Ohio, for example. There's an open seat uh, in Pennsylvania. And I think these are really key. And if you have a large African-American turnout, particularly in Pennsylvania, that seat can go to a Democrat. So I think there's a lot on the line for the Republicans. And we'll see the test of the Republican caucus now going into this and see how disciplined they can be with their rhetoric when they enter into the debate on this judicial nomination. Yeah, very interesting to think about the reverberations uh, across the country uh, politically with uh, one man, Justice Stephen Breyer, expected to uh, make it official later today that he will retire at the end of this current Supreme Court term. Professor Wendy Schiller, as always, great getting your insights. Wendy Schiller is director of the Taubman Center for American Politics and Policy at Brown University. Karen. Nathan, let's get more perspective now on the pending retirement of Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer in our daily Bloomberg Law Brief, brought to you by the American Arbitration Association. Business disputes are inevitable. Resolve faster with the American Arbitration Association, the global leader in alternative dispute resolution for over 90 years. More at ADR.org. Stephen Breyer is the court's oldest justice at 83. He is a pragmatist who currently leads the liberal wing of the court, which is now a three-justice minority. His replacement could reinforce the court's liberal wing and potentially serve for decades, but they will not shift the ideological balance. For more on the news, Bloomberg's June Grasso speak to judiciary expert Carl Tobias, a professor at the University of Richmond Law School. Tell us about the timing of Justice Breyer's announcement even before the end of the term when justices normally retire? Well, it is unusual. Usually it comes at the last sitting or very close to the end of the term, but it's happened in all different periods, so it's not unprecedented. It provides plenty of time to replace him. How would you describe Justice Breyer's legacy? Well, I think he brought an incredible understanding of how the federal government works in the United States to the Supreme Court and applied his collegiality, his intelligence, his independence to every case that came before the court in a way that informed the way many cases were resolved. And he was always willing to dissent or to concur if need be. And I think he had a real roving intellect and a real command of the history of the federal government and how it worked. And I think he leaves a really strong legacy in the public law area. One of the leading candidates mentioned as a possible nominee to replace Justice Breyer is Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson. She was confirmed 
Just last year, the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals and three Republican senators voted for her confirmation. Might that make the confirmation process easier? Absolutely. I also would expect those senators to withhold how they might vote until they see how she does in the process. If she is the nominee, I could see them saying, and often senators do, well, I thought she was just fine for the D.C. Circuit, but the Supreme Court is the highest court in the land, and because I voted one way doesn't necessarily mean that I will vote that way again. But don't forget that Democrats have not lost any votes and none of their members have voted no on any of the lower federal court nominees to date. So if they hold together, there shouldn't be a problem. They don't even need any Republican votes because if they're tied 50-50, the vice president can break that tie. But I do think the Democrats are likely to hold together, just as Republicans have very much held together, with some exceptions like Senator Graham and sometimes Senators Murkowski and Collins have voted for lower court nominees, but many Republicans have voted no on almost every one of Biden's lower court nominees. NS University of Richmond Law Professor Carl Tobias speaking with Bloomberg student Grasso. Catch more of that interview plus analysis of the latest legal news by listening to the Bloomberg Law Show at 10 p.m. Eastern Time or subscribing to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. And attorneys can find exceptional legal research and business development tools at Bloomberg Law. Dot com. Futures this morning, S&P futures lower once again down 17 points. Dow futures down 120 and NASDAQ futures down to 66. They were higher just moments ago and the 10-year treasury is up 8.30 seconds, yield 1.83%. Still ahead on Bloomberg Daybreak, a check on the business headlines and all the news you need to start your day. And this is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.